So this evening's talk, uh, followed by discussion, is uh, the title is uh, The Leaves Will Always Fall. So, and it's a teaching from Ajahn Chah, but I'll, I'll get there slowly. So some weeks ago, myself and uh, a small crew of folks from the meditation center here in Newburyport, the Insight Meditation Center of Newburyport, set out to uh, clean up the garbage, the trash along the roads that are close to the center. It's something I've wanted to do for, for many years in a way. Uh, it was inspired by a time I was in, I was in Japan. I lived in Japan for a number of years and studied uh, Zen and also was in an intentional community where the founder, um, a place called Itoen in Kyoto, the founder would go around. He was, he was deceased by the time I got into the, to the uh, community where I lived for about a year in the mid 1980s. Um, he had, he used to go around. Uh, he was a solo guy and, and he went around and he went to people's homes and he knocked on them and he said, I'd like to uh, give you some, I'd like to give you some service of cleaning for just for, for world peace and for my own, my own heart and mind to cultivate my own heart and mind. And I always thought that was intriguing. I didn't last too long in that. I mean, I lasted a while in that community. And then I ended up uh, going into Zen monasteries. But what I thought that he did was he was very much linking the quality of being engaged in the world through service, intentional service and purification. So he wasn't he saying he was doing it just for just for the sense of harmony in the world, but it was for himself as well, for purifying his own heart. So that was kind of an intention where that's what inspired me to, uh, to get this crew of folks. And so we set off. It's a nice idyllic kind of a rather bucolic area where uh, we're on top of a hill, there are woods, and there's this nice, a nice road that runs around a reservoir, uh, the Newburyport Reservoir. So many people walk on it and, and a lot of the, the folks that meditate do as well. So I've been meaning to do this for many years and we finally did it some weeks ago. And it started out well, it went well. Uh, my old car got filled up with uh, garbage bags full of stuff. There was a tire, there were some scrap metal. Uh, and we, we did this for maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And then we were finished. Uh, we went on our, our way feeling good, just feeling, and, and the instructions were to really use it as a practice to be present with it. Um, and people went on their way and we had this feeling of, oh, I've, I've done something for the community so others can enjoy it, but also I feel a connection with my own community and, and a sense of being present as well. So this sense of interdependence. And the Buddhist teachings are actually very much framed on the connection between outer action and inner action or an inner cultivation through what's called sila, samadhi, and panya, or ethics, uh, concentration through meditation and wisdom. And it really links our ability to create harmony in the world with the ability to settle our minds and hearts, and from that place to see clearly. So often we just go to the second and third of these pretty directly, but in Asia they actually usually use four, uh, where even before you get to these, you start with generosity to open the heart. Then you work with ethics and then the mind settled enough, open enough, and it's more fruitful to meditate. So back to my story of picking up trash. So the next day I went to walk this, this, this area. Uh, 
I, I went to the roads. It's close to my house, so I often walk there. And what did I notice? Well, first I started, first I was happy with clean, and then I started noticing places where I hadn't been very thorough, like there, a bottle cap here or a plastic bag there. And I also noticed that there's a lot more trash that had already, just from the day before, had already started to accumulate. A garbage bag here, a Dunkin' Donuts cup, coffee cup there. And I immediately started to feel a bit tight inside, a little disappointed. And I criticized myself for you know, not being thorough enough. And also I criticized others and made judgments about their upbringing and et cetera. How could they do this? So I had a bad feeling. And then I remembered a teaching from Ajahn Chah, which is kind of the core of what I'll be reflecting on uh, this evening, which is the leaves will always fall. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it and then just uh, flesh it out a little bit in three different parts. So this is from Ajahn Chah, it's from the uh, book, uh, Still Forest Pool uh, on, on page 104. So if you have that book, you know of that. And Ajahn Chah was a great Thai forest master. Every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery. So he had a large uh, monastic compound, many actually. And I was ordained for in Thailand for about a year and I had the good fortune of practicing with him and in some of those some of his, his forest monasteries. It's very austere. You, a lot of them were in the Northeast part of Thailand in a very, uh, very sparse, uh, small jungle areas or forest areas. So every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery must be swept clear of the leaves that fall in every Asian season. For the large open areas, the monks will team up and with long-handed bamboo brooms extended sweep like a dust storm, clearing all the leaves in their path. Sweeping is so satisfying. So you get this image, right, of this monastic, this, this community cultural life where people go out and every other day and in a group sweep, 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 sweep. And the last of this, sweeping is so satisfying. I was thinking, what would be the equivalent for us in our daily tasks? And the so satisfying part of this is very interesting. So for us, it would be what? Washing dishes, taking out the trash, going for a walk. Uh, it could be answering emails, et cetera, but that takes a little more mental work, right? So, but still, it's, a, it's something that we, that we do and in a way, when we clean the paths, we're cleaning, we're doing our, our checklists, you know, paying our bills, doing errands, et cetera. So these are part of the normal flow of our life. So is this satisfying for us? And if so, uh, why or why not? So for the monks, the satisfying part is that there's a quality of samadhi or concentration, engagement, steadiness that is put into the activity that makes it satisfying. So it's the quality of attention. What in Zen would be called 100% sweeping mind, where you bring your, your mind and your heart, your attention together in a way that's balanced and that there's a joy when we do that. So this is something that I think as, as practitioners, we, we are 
told about and we may find for ourselves is actually an incredibly nourishing part of practice when we and if we can take the time the time to shift how we're doing it 100 mind and we know this in other areas uh, in our lives where we get absorbed in things hobbies sometimes we get really absorbed in work and there's a satisfaction of the absorption itself so that's this quality of samadhi or concentration absorption brings a kind of joy in the process So just to embrace this possibility, and this is a complement to wisdom, it, just to embrace the possibility that uh, a sense of continuity and focus, one thing at a time mentality has real potential as it was for the monks. So I lived in, in uh, Zen monasteries in, in Japan for a number of years. And uh, actually after I had been this, this intentional community uh, near Kyoto, and there, there was often an emphasis in working with the, the, the master that their emphasis would be on waking up, not just on the cushion or solving your koan, if that's what you're working with, but the sense of how you were actually engaged in your life. And there was a high premium on that. Uh, there was a fun story from one place I practiced, Daitokuji um, in Kyoto, of someone in the 60s who, and I, I used to work with this man named Kobori Roshi. It was a, uh, a lot of the people in the 60s would go and work with him. Uh, so he's quite a famous teacher and he spoke English. So it worked well. So he, the story was told that earlier on the heyday of the hippies, there was somebody there working with him and he was passing the koans. He was sitting beautifully. And then he followed him out of the hall once the Dharma hall once. And as he's walking across the, the garden or whatever, he came behind him and he jumped him and he slapped him and he scared him. And the guy ran off. Now it turns out that he actually, so the story goes, he didn't tell it, that he was actually on drugs. So that his mind was in a state where it wasn't actually that clear, but he could pretend. But for me, the power in the story is he got spooked when he was jarred in daily life. So this was a real wake up call for me. This emphasis that you may be able to get some calm in your practice, but life can throw you curveballs that'll kind of wipe them out with you, or at least for a time. So we need to have that quality of continuity that is in daily life in the normal activities of daily life in a way that is sustained and where we can find joy in it. And this, this very much supports the other aspects of the practice, which is we'll continue to explore here. And the question for us is really, how can I embrace my daily life as practice? Where do I really do that? And where do I kind of fall short in terms of the commitment to bring our full care attention into activities? So the teaching continues. So the first line ended, the first part sweeping is so satisfying, right? These monks were a dust storm sweeping and being satisfied. And here's the continuation. All the while, the forest continues to give its teachings. The leaves fall, the monks sweep, and yet, even while the sweeping continues and the near end of a path is being cleared, the monks can look back to the far end they have already swept and see a new scattering of leaves already starting to cover their work, right? 
So these are walking meditation paths. So you, you want to walk clear back and forth. And then the sweeping, you sweep the leaves off. And then even as they're getting to one end of the path sweeping, the leaves are already starting to fall the other end of the path. So this is a very powerful daily life metaphor for me, because even when we think we finished cleaning up or we finished all our emails, then there's another one uh, or uh, someone spills something. Or we just think we've gotten our health back when we hit an injury and then something else, we tweak something else. So in the metaphor of this teaching, these would be the leaves falling. That stuff's happening, even as we're clearing our path stuff is happening and so how do we relate to that is there some sense of wishing that it wouldn't come again that when we just be done we'd be done and then we get frustrated there's like a sense of reactivity when our path isn't clear and when we cleared it it clogs again we have to maneuver again. So these are the teachings. These are the daily life teachings that present themselves to us again and again. And then here was the part of the, of the, the teaching from Ajahn Chah that really embraces a kind of wisdom. Uh, first, we lay out the reality. And then what is the wisdom piece? How can we transform this? How can we have joy in sweeping? Our lives are like the breath, like the growing and falling leaves, says Ajahn Chah. When we can really understand about falling leaves, we can sweep the paths every day and have great happiness in our lives on this changing earth. Our lives are like the breath, like the growing and falling leaves. When we can really understand about falling leaves, we can sweep the paths every day and have great happiness in our lives on this changing earth. So this applies to the outer environment, but it also applies, as I've spoken, but it also applies deeply to the inner environment. What is it that enables us to give 100% of our care and attention? When often when we try, there's, there's inner energies and tensions that block us stress and unworked out emotional blocks. So the sweeping applies not just to the outer environment, it definitely applies to our minds and hearts as well. And this, we need this to really understand about falling leaves. So if we have repetitive thoughts and feelings that seem to block our path in life, we really simply may wanna get rid of them for once and for all. You agree to that? I certainly would like to be rid of them for once and for all. But this idea is actually like the, the misconception that the monks would have if they thought sweeping once would keep the forest paths clean indefinitely. So the nature of the forest is to, and the trees is to, to grow and to drop their leaves. And in the Asian seasons, every Asian season, it's not just in the fall. 
just like our minds and our hearts. Our minds excrete in a way like thoughts. They're processing emotions in every season of our life. That's what they are. And the ones we don't like, we want to get rid of once and for all. Well, perhaps the monks, this would be considered uh, not wise view. It's unpleasant, right? So we, we don't want it there. But in the same way, if the monks don't want the paths to be cleared, or the nuns, then how, how do they work with that? How can they stay joyful? So how can we stay joyful with the, the fullness of our humanity? And the difficult stuff that arises. So the, the monks needed to simply change their attitude, didn't they? Towards the falling leaves. If they were to find happiness. And to find happiness, there's just simply the need to embrace change. Very simple. So just imagine for a moment what it would be like if we learned to sweep clean our tendency and here's the key, to blindly cling to thoughts and emotions. So it's not the thoughts and emotions themselves. That's what keeps them lodged, stuck. Right? It'd be like the leaves getting stuck on the path where they couldn't be swept. But they can't because there's the natural force and the conditions are right. So our thoughts and moods can get stuck. And that's through the habit of clinging the habit of not seeing the nature because every mood and thought we have even the, the very difficult ones, they do arise and pass, but it doesn't feel like that when we're caught in the grip of the unpleasantness of them. So that's where the core is to learn how to not blindly cling to thoughts and emotions. And it's very human too. So there's nothing wrong with that. So rather than trying to get rid of the thoughts and emotions, and also I know what I often tend to do, many of us do, I think, uh, is we tend to try to control the conditions around us, the people in our lives, uh, the situations, so that the emotions won't arise, difficult emotions won't arise. And we all know that it's an imperfect science, don't we? So what happens when we can start to see thoughts from that place where we really see them as arising and passing, like we see the leaves? or the thunderstorms of today arising, moving through the sky, violently even, uh, displaying their power through rain, and thunder, and lightning, and then moving on. How do we do that? Well, the mind needs to learn how to be more like the, like the sky itself, which learns to hold and see, assuming there's intelligence, to see this natural flow. Sometimes they're big storms, sometimes they're smaller. And ultimately, Ajahn Chah, there's an emphasis as well in the falling leaves that we actually see that the hardest lesson of change is to see impermanence in its deepest nature of, of deep loss, of people, of things, of, of things that we've, we've long cherished, people we've long cherished. And that understanding falling leaves is like this too, just to understand this is, this, this is the way of things. And then, of course, just as there is in the cycle, there's the cycle in nature where there's the leaves actually create the fodder when they decompose for more life to come. It's just the natural way. 
So the question is, how do we both work to clean up the garbage and keep things going on the outer world and also the inner world to keep things moving on our path? So from the perspective of Dharma or from insight meditation, uh, it's simply through, as I mentioned before, the level of creating harmony and then what are called the meditative ways of be, cultivating awareness through being focused and through seeing clearly or samadhi and then wisdom. And when this wisdom arises, then the mind recognizes its open sky-like nature with intelligence. And it learns through, to do this through letting go. So the path is shamatha and vipassana. Those are the two words for it. And what's wonderful when we start to look and align it, we're learning to align ourselves with change, then we can use as the monks did, as we do when we work with the breath, we work with the footsteps, we can align ourselves with the daily rituals that we have. We can align ourselves with the natural flow of change in things that are predictable in our life, things that we can rely on. So that's one reason why breath awareness is so powerful is that it's, it's change, but it's just something we can, we can relax into. We can be with steady so that little by little, the mind, we learn to work with objects that are changing, but changing in a predictable way generally. And then like a footstep, there's the movement of each step, right? There's a rhythm that's changing, but there's a rhythm to it. So we learn to, to, to look into, to see into, and then that slowly allows our hearts and minds to calm and steady. And there's joy in that, just in that process. We start to, to naturally... Uh, feel this quality where temporarily even the con conflicted emotions and difficult thoughts, they can fade through samadhi, right? It's, uh, there's, a, there's a man named Kwong who wrote a, a wonderful Zen book and it's called Breath Sweeps Mind. So it's a beautiful image that the breath in this form of just paying attention to the breath itself through the chain of the predictable change and flow of the breath, the breath can sweep the mind. And that's often why we practice, isn't it? To create some sense of space, some sense of not being caught up and we feel the renewal. We feel the renewal in the mind and the mind body when we do this. And also the image of, of the monk going back and forth is also, I think very powerful because it means we're not trying just to get we're not trying to get somewhere in the sense we often think of our practice. We want to get an experience or in life, we want to get an object. And that's, that's part of life. Of course, there's that linear or that time from past to future aspect of it. But when we walk back and forth or we watch the breath, we forget we're stepping outside of that. And then when we have enough stability in that, then that leads us so that we can start to tune into a second kind of, of meditative awareness that, that is wisdom. So the first is full care and attention, right? And again, using often things that are predictable and changing like the breath, like walking, et cetera. You can do it in daily routines as well. 
And what's important is to have just really balance in the effort and how we do that. This brings steadier awareness. And then this is what can be, has its, begins to have its own life much more strongly, the awareness itself, the clear seeing itself. And then this changes our relationship. It changes how we see how things change on their own. So we're not focusing on change. That brings about awareness. That's our, our samadhi or shamatha practice. But then we put this in the service of actually living our life and being with whatever arises. And this is the, the second kind of changing phenomena are the changing things that are, that are not, as Ajahn Chas used to say, uh, not sure. So we can think of many examples in large ways and small for us. The, the heat wave we just had, that kind of came, seemed like it came from nowhere, right? Or in a bigger way, COVID. These are things that, are, that were major events that came out of, we couldn't, they weren't a predictable, we couldn't, we couldn't relax into them as part of, part of a normal cycle. They were changed that was unpredicted. And oftentimes that's how we get thrown off, isn't it? I know recently someone who was a, was a, a friend just was in a bad mood and kind of let, lo, kind of, uh, let go on me a little bit emotionally. And I didn't, I didn't particularly react, but I, I realized afterwards and I still, I have to feel, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult when you, when you feel like you're, when you feel like you've been, you've been hurt, you've been hit blindsided. And then it's not like blindsided by COVID or by a heat wave, but it's blindsided by our inner emotions. And those have a very powerful life. So how can, how can we work with that? How can we give space to that? If our attention is more renewed and rested through simply being present, through training, through formal practice and daily life practice, this full care and attention brings the quality of awareness, which starts to hold and let the cycles, the outer cycles and the inner cycles have their way. Let them reveal themselves but then it's like over time that the seeing, the awareness gets stronger and it becomes more of what we might call a default mode where we learn to rest there and then we're renewed in that resting. Because what happens, we get pushed all around by emotions, difficult emotions, and then we get caught in them and they cycle through thoughts and unpleasant sensations. And then we just want to get rid of them or we just want to be right. We just want to, whatever we do, it's often the reactive mind. And what's what the wisdom aspect is we're learning to actually move from from reactivity to responsiveness and resilience. So I know for myself and, and this, you know, happened a few days ago, I just didn't try to block it. I tried to be with it, watch it, see how it moved, see how it came in thoughts, emotions. And I really enjoyed meditating and sitting, formal sitting. And I, I found that as a refuge where my mind was just clear and then come again or and then slowly actually wisdom you started to come out of it like some of the things oh maybe there's some wisdom in that and how can i learn from this so things can become workable and then even transformational many of the most difficult things have something in them there's that has a seed of something which if we didn't have that we wouldn't get to see that we wouldn't get to learn from it if we have the capacity to learn from it. 
this is often a, a, a phrase that's used is uh, life is here to wake us up. And that's true some of the time. But it's true all the time when awareness and interest are strong. So now I want to give I want to see how, I want to give an example of how these how these two aspects work together. So the more we find a steadiness in rhythm and in practice, the more that gives us a more stable awareness and I would say open heart where we can deal with things that come out of left field that are unpredictable, that are painful or that are joyful and embrace them fully, but perhaps not be quite as attached as we would. So just as a reflection, and then we can bring it up in Q&A if you'd like, uh, did anybody here, and I'm, I did for myself, so it's, a, it's, a, it's an example that was very real for me, did anybody during COVID find that they relaxed into a rhythm that enabled them to be more steadily present and more relaxed? So, and if you did find this, did that help you with all of the difficulties and unknowns that kept coming again and again and are, are still here to some extent? So if so, that would be a, that would be an example of dropping into the rhythms that are available to us when we when we really maybe slow down a little bit or take time. Or you can do it when you're busy, just bring awareness into it, relax into it, have that steadiness. And then from the interest and in, in the buoyancy of the heart that can come from that, well, that's what we have to explore, see what that does to the, the things that come from all these different angles in a way that's, that, that, that isn't, isn't what we wanted. That's another way to look at it. There's always this sense that uh, things should be a certain way that our minds are projecting that onto experience. And then things are as they are. Should be this way, but uh, it's not. Or it should be this way, but it is. And then it changes in all the different levels of experience, from politics to intimate relationships, to our relationship to our bodies, to work, to finances, to it's, it's endless. So our mind often wants to find some security in, in believing itself oh, it's gotta be this way. And then we find energy to try to meet that. But then if life is different, sure, we can use some of that energy to create change if it's positive, that's wisdom. But often it just saps our energy. So what happens when we, when we really devote ourselves to, to Dharma and in moments when it clicks, then we realize that we're actually like the monks walking on back and forth we just living our daily life and that the purification or the, 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 the path is there not to get on top of the mountain, but the path is there so that we can purify our hearts and minds so that we can find calm and steady and then see into the changing nature of experience. So we can use the formal, formal meditation, right? In and out breathing, walking, and then include that in the rhythm of daily life so that they're not, that the unification starts to happen where we feel that awareness is functioning here, being strengthened here in this way, functioning here, being strengthened or, oh, feeling jagged here and then bring attention to that. So 
So when we do this, then we start to touch a very deep level of, of, of moments of wisdom where, where stillness, awareness is both very still. That sense of sweeping the mind, that sense of just calming, steadying. But then also awareness can flow. It's exactly the same awareness. It's the same energy of clear seeing functioning in different ways. It can flow with life. And that's where the joy comes in. Utejaniya once said when I was at uh, CIMC, actually doing a workshop with him many years ago, he's a Burmese, uh, Burmese monk. Uh, in, the, in the basement, he was doing a Q&A and someone was asking about awareness and they seemed sad. And he said, uh, if I remember correctly, he said, you need to make friends with awareness. And what I feel like the practice is, is that we're learning to feel that nurture, that nurturing stability that comes from aligning ourselves more with the process of both being aware, but then just being, feeling awareness as we're, as we're moving in life. So that stillness, but then the sense of flowing. And the beauty, which takes some trust and faith to see is that the seeing itself has tremendous power. The awareness itself, if we just let it do its job. So when we unwind a difficult pattern often, and, and we finally see some clarity in a situation. Often it's because we've stayed present enough, but not tight, where things can arise and pass, display themselves. And there may be pain or there may be joy. And then at a certain point, the energy of that starts to get revealed. So awareness does the work. And sometimes the action is just seeing is the action. But nothing else needs to be done. And other times, and then action can flow out of that, but there's no thought in it. Other times there's the seeing, and then there's, uh, then there's the thought and the action come after. The clear seeing leads to logic, leads to thought. And the Buddha framed the way of working with thought and, and reflection simply, the beautiful sutta he gave uh, to his son. And he said, in any situation, uh, there's sort of three grades. The first one is you want to, what you want to do, you want to see if it can be beneficial for yourself and others or the other. And then if it can only be beneficial for one, then try to make sure it's not, it's not destructive for the other. And then it just goes down from there where you, you want to see if it's not going to be harmful and you do your best, right? So that's, it, it levels it in that way. So we can have that when we see clearly, then that gives us more choice. And often bringing in reflective wisdom can be very helpful. And then we do the best we can. And then in that teaching in particular, you, you, stay, you stay mindful and you see how it's going. And then you can shift at any time if, uh, if what you thought was correct actually didn't, didn't turn out to be or changed. So over time, we can learn to uproot these, just these powerful tendencies which tend to block the clarity of awareness and the flow and quality of life through seeing, not through blocking, but through seeing. So it's, it's the clinging, it's the, the clamping down, it's the centralization that we see into again and again when it happens. And then that frees up energy for it to change. And we do this when we, when we practice formally, right? The back and forth practice, our lives, we realize we're, we're working to live, to create purity of, of, and that means joy. It means a sense of connection in our living. 
And of course, we have our linear goals too. We take care of things on that level. But there's a parallel level, which is going on all the time, which is knowing we're really working with the conditions to see what happens to the, to the quality of our living through ethical sensitivity, through uh, focus or steadiness and through, through wisdom. And what it takes in both formal practice and daily life is a kind of um, very, it's very gentle, but it's very strong and kind of fierce persistence. That's what I would say. And we often think that means we go through cycles where we practice hard and then we get lazy, practice hard and get lazy. And uh, there's an image that I really like. My, my, my father told me this story actually just a couple of weeks ago. Um, where he, he went in the Navy as part of uh, ROTC to pay for his, his, uh, his college. And um, he, was a, he became a, a navigator for a ship, lead navigator for a 14,000 ton ship or something. I forget what it was. It was after the Korean War. And he told me one of his favorite things was to try to, uh, they had these competitions where you'd, you'd, try to dot, you'd try to see if you could let your ship, you'd have, you'd have to turn off the power way away from shore, come in, with its own momentum and come right up to the dock, right? And there, there are different currents and things. So he, it was a, he loved doing this uh, because sometimes people would make two radical turns. But he was, he, he was very clear and he could shoot and he was very, very good at it. And he could actually take, if someone was gonna go three degrees, he would go like one degree. And then slowly, and there were some, I didn't explain it totally fully, there might be obstacles in the way, so you have to, you have to, you have to, you have to create an arc with the ship. Or it can be like a ship and big at, at sea, where you want to get over here and you're going this way, you have to go, you have to predict where you're going to be at that time. And then it takes just often a lot less turning than you think, just a little shift. And then over time, so in my father's case, over time, there's this gradual, gentle coming into the coming in at this slight angle to the dock, or in a in a great great seafaring ship, trying to get to one place and just turning, not turning and trying to go straight, just turning a very little bit, and then slowly you get there. So that's the way Dharma is. It's a shift. It's a shift in attitude. It's a shift in perspective that values awareness, values the interest in living and learning and, and values the, the sense of how the outer and inner work so, so much together in a way that from a Dharma perspective, it's so obvious, but for us, we may have great, um, great fire to create change. And that can be really helpful and excellent and effective but also the underlying understanding that what we manifest comes from in here. So there's this deep sense of, of interdependence with our minds and hearts and the power that we have as humans somehow to manipulate experience in a way that no other species has that we know of. So the Buddha said in the Dhammapada with a pure heart, joy follows. An impure heart, suffering. We can think of this just on the inner level, but if we understand that all actions come from the clarity, the intention, the wisdom or lack thereof in each heart and mind, 
throughout history, then we realize that that joy is external. It brings the conditions for joy in the external world as well. So in the traditional cycle of, of ethics, concentration and wisdom, wisdom begets ethics naturally because we care and we're more sensitive and we can see more clearly what causes harm. We have that standard, what causes harm and what does not. So like the example of cleaning the roads near IMCN, right near the meditation center up here, so I kind of let off with that. And also now, just as an aside, now what I do is I, I go, I did it today, actually, I go for, actually yesterday, uh, I'm gone for my walk yet today. Um, I'll, instead of trying to clean a huge area, I often pick up one or two pieces when I'm on the way and just try to really take joy in doing my little part, but also the next day, oh, there's more here. <laughs> So it's been it's been a way to try to keep keep working with this teaching in my re, in my in my actual life. Or the the other story I said, which was from the place in Japan, right, where it did volunteer service, but it was really with the intention of not just helping the other, but also working directly with one's heart. And it's it really speaks to the the preciousness of our interdependent life. So the inner life and the outer life are deeply reflected of each other. And when we align ourselves with this on this path of practice, daily life, well, we, we have to see what it does to the quality of our living. Those around us and the planet as well. So we have to see that for ourselves and make our own conclusions. So that's the invitation that I think this teaching, these teachings are giving. So let's just settle in and I'm going to um, just end by uh, reading the full story from, from Ajahn Chah. And then we'll just sit for a minute and I'll ring the bell. The thunder will roar and the leaves will fall and the leaves will always fall. Every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery must be swept clear of the leaves that fall in every Asian season. But the large open areas, and as I speak, I'll speak a little more slowly, actually, just reflect on your own life as, as we've been working with in this, this talk so far. Every day or two, the open grounds and walkways of the monastery must be swept clear of the leaves that fall in every Asian season. For the large open areas, the monks will team up and with long-handled bamboo brooms extended, sweep like a dust storm, clearing all the leaves in their path. Sweeping is so satisfying. All the while the forest continues to give its teachings. The leaves fall, the monks sweep. And yet, even while the sweeping continues and the near end of a long path is being cleared, the monks can look back to the far end they have already swept and see a new scattering of leaves already starting to cover their work. Our lives are like the breath, like the growing and falling leaves says Ajahn Chah. 
when we can really understand about falling leaves. We can sweep the paths every day and have great happiness in our lives on this changing earth. Let's sit for a minute. So I'd like to thank everyone, and I'd like to end with a short dedication. I'll ring the bell. May the fruits of our practice and discussion, contemplation, truly be a benefit to the quality of our own life, of those in our lives, and in the interdependent web of life that we all inhabit to all beings everywhere. May we and all beings be saved be happy, and be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.